0: that. First Kings chapter number 19. First Kings chapter 19. I want to speak to you tonight about a servant's heart. A servant's heart. We're going to look at just three verses here toward the end of this chapter. First Kings chapter number 19 and verse 19 says, so he departed Thence and found Elisha, the son of Sapheth, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him, and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen, and ran after Elijah, and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him, and took a yoke of oxen, and slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. And then he arose, and went after Elijah, and ministered unto him. If the Bible's clear about anything, it's the fact that God expects us to serve him. Period. I I mean, there's absolutely no question about that whatsoever. Uh, You know, we talk about the whole duty of man that Solomon spoke of, and that has to do with us obeying and and serving the Lord. And so that's our responsibility. Uh, The question is, that each one of us need to ask ourselves is, do we have a servant's heart? Here we find in just three verses three small short verses, a whole mountain of truth. It's the story of two men. The one is Elijah, the old prophet who is now in the twilight of a successful ministry. His ministry is just about over. And the other is Elisha. And he's a young plowboy straight from the farm. And he's coming from the farm right onto the front line of service for the Lord. You could say he came from the plow to the pulpit. And here in this story, we see the attitude that's necessary if we're going to be used of God. If we're going to have a servant's heart, if we're going to be useful to the kingdom of God, there are things that that we need to notice about this story. First of all, look at number verse number 19, it says here that he was plowing. And, and the, the the first thing I want to mention about having a servant's heart is there must be a willingness to share in social duties. He was plowing. That doesn't sound very spiritual at all, does it? He was plowing. I mean, let's face it, anybody could plow. Well, I mean, just about anybody Uh, but, uh, he's, he's plowing, you you know, had been a woman, you might say, well, she was washing dishes, you know, whatever it is. It's just, uh, it's just one of the things that you do in life. But remember, there's been this long drought of three and a half years and finally the rain has come and there's a lot of work to do now because the people had been living in despair and now there is hope. The farmers were busy tilling the land and sowing the seed. And notice among them was Elisha, the son of Zephath. And verse 19 indicates that Zephath was evidently a godly and a wealthy man. I I say wealthy because he's got all of these people working for him, twelve yoke of oxen, you know, and the servants doing that. But I say godly because the word Elisha means God is salvation. And it appears that Elisha, was he was like a working foreman on the crew. He was right out there with them plowing. You know, he could have sat back and said, Dad, we need to hire a... Uh, another hand, and uh, and I'll oversee them, and we'll get all twelve of them out there, you know, uh, plowing the fields. But but he noticed he was working with one of the team of oxen. That that makes a big difference when somebody's willing to work with those that are working. I've often told the story about when I worked for the highway department and. One of the things that really irritated us guys that, you know, we had maybe been there a, a few years and, and all of a sudden, at, you know, we knew what we were doing and everybody was working hard. And here's some hot shot that had just finished his college career at Rolla, Missouri, or some other mining school or uh, civil engineering school. And so they go to work for the highway department and they come out there and immediately they're ahead of us. They've never used a double-bitted axe in their life. They have no clue what it means to get out there and work hard all day. And we we just really resented those guys, I'll be honest. But we had one fellow, wasn't very big, kind of a scrawny guy, looked kind of like what, you know, used to you'd tease people to call him a geek or something. And that's what Jim looked like. He was just a little old frail guy. But man, whenever, and you got to remember, we built the highway all the way from Springfield, Missouri, all the way down to Branson. There wasn't anything down through there. We had to clear a survey line, and we we didn't have chainsaws or anything else. We had double-bitted axes and machetes, and we cleared that survey line all the way down through there. And it knocked our socks off when all of a sudden Jim was right out there, right with us, every step of the way, every day. He was working and sweating, you know, just like we were. And boy, I'll tell you what, it didn't take long for for him to win our confidence and admiration. We appreciated somebody like that. And here we find... Elisha right out there with the rest of the work crew. He's not looking for a handout. He's not asking for daddy's support. He's right out there working. I'm talking about back-breaking work. And uh, I think it's interesting that Elijah, remember he is about to appoint his successor, and who's he looking for? He, notice, he found Elisha, who was hard at work. He could have probably found a lot of folks sitting under a shade tree somewhere, you know, and said, Hey, I need a successor, and it looks like you don't have anything to do. Why don't you come and follow me? But he didn't do that. He found somebody that was willing to work. There's an important lesson in that, I think, for all of us, because we look back through history, especially in the Bible, and we see all of those examples of people that God used and they were all industrious. We think about David. David was out there keeping sheep. Gideon was threshing wheat. Peter was a fisherman. Now, you know, when we think of fishermen today, we think, well, there was no work in that. I mean, go down there and... You know, and drown some men as fishing for crappie or something. Oh, no, no, not that kind of fishing. I'm talking about the kind of fishing where they went out there with those heavy nets, and I mean risk their lives out there on the water. That was hard work. And, and, and yet that's exactly what he was doing. The Lord chose those who were actively doing something. Like somebody said, the only place you'll find find uh, success before work is in the dictionary. And that's right. And we look, we're never going to be really used of God unless we have a servant's heart, unless we're willing to serve. And so if you're gonna serve God you, you 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 gotta learn to lot of learn to work and learn to love it. Several years ago it'd be uh how many? About 40 years ago, 42 years ago, I had an assistant pastor, and uh, so he would just got out of, out of Bible college, and, uh, and very, some of you would know who I'm talking about. And so the first day that uh, he was on the job, we, uh, we had a sat down talk, and, uh, and I told him, look, uh, you're going to be doing a lot of stuff that doesn't seem very spiritual to you. You're going to be running a memograph machine? do I need to explain that <laughs> is the kind of, yeah for the the kids that never heard of a mammograph machine it was the it was what we had before you had copiers and you know printing presses and things like that and I went over a whole list of different things and just trying to emphasize that these things are important, and somebody's got to do them and I don't have time to do all of those things and And uh, thankfully, he he was all in, and thank God for somebody you know like that that's willing to do what needs to be done. That's what it takes to have a servant's heart, and and we ought to do our very best at it. I can remember my pastor. I've only had one pastor, and uh, and he died at an early age. I think about forty-five, but I'll never forget. Uh, he would be preaching about serving the Lord and being the best you can. And uh, we had paneling on all, all, all of the walls back then in that little church building, and he'd get his hanky out. He'd say, you know, if God called me to just to be a knot-hole polisher, he said uh, I would be the best knot-hole polisher there ever, ever was. And he'd get over there and polish on one knot-hole and find another one and do the same thing. And he said... You know, and that's the attitude that we ought to have in whatever we're doing. You know, I'm so glad that God doesn't reward us on the basis of whether we do as much as somebody else. God rewards us on the basis of faithfulness. And faithfulness has to do with doing the best you can with what you've got. We're not in competition with one another. And all God asks from any of us is to do the best that we can. That might not be enough to satisfy some folks, but that doesn't make any difference. You know, because God's looking at our faithfulness. And and, and there's a work to be done. your work might not be, you know, physically exhaustive like somebody else. It might, you know, be entirely different. But it's a work to be done. And it's important that whenever Elijah goes looking for his successor, he finds a young man that is not just willing to work, but a young man that's already working. Secondly, in having a servant's heart, it has to be someone who's willing to submit to authority. Look at verse number 19 again. And Elijah Passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Now I think I can safely say that uh, that, he, that Elisha knew who Elijah was because everybody did. I mean, he was known throughout the land and by many as being the troublemaker. This is the guy that, you know, that withheld the rain from us. He was the most famous prophet of that day, and it must have been a breathtaking moment for Elisha out there plowing when that old prophet walks by and takes his mantle and puts it on his shoulders. That was a symbol of his prophetic office. It was a symbol of his authority. That was his way of extending a call to this young man. It's like saying, son, I'm about to pass off of the scene, and I'm passing the torch to you. Now, it's possible that he gave an explanation like that. It might have been much longer than that. I I don't know. It doesn't say, but there are no words recorded And I really don't think any words were needed. I think Elisha got the message exactly what was meant by that. Because notice what it says. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah. That tells me two things. tells me, number one, that when Elijah placed the mantle on Elisha, he just kept walking. Number two, it tells me that Elisha was anxious to do the will of God and he ran after him. He didn't say, hey, what does this mean? Or what do you want me to do with this? Or "Or I refuse to go or anything else. He ran after him. But look at verse 20. He's got only one request. Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow thee. Boy, that tells us a lot about his character. You know, he wanted to leave the right way. I think that's important. Over the years, I've known so many people that decide for whatever reason they're going to leave the church, and they just leave. Leave no explanation, not a word, just leave. I think that's an awful indictment against our character when we do things like that. I mean, to even think about on your job where you work and to think about changing your vocation and just to walk out without a word of explanation... We all know that wouldn't be the right thing to do, and he wants to leave the right way. And boy, the first thing, first order of business that he wants to take care of is mom and dad. He could have just packed his bags and left, said, hey, "Come on, let's go. I'm ready. I, I've been looking for. A, I've been looking for a reason to get away from home anyway." I want to be out on my own. I want to call my own shots, do my own thing. I'm ready to go. He didn't want to walk away without some word of explanation, so he set things in order first. That's the way it should be. And then he placed himself under the authority of Elijah. Elijah. He didn't say, all right, now I'm going to go with you, but I'm going to call the shots. You're just an old man. You don't know what you're doing anymore. And I'm the, if I'm going to take your place, you know, if I'm going to be the chief honcho around here, then I'm going to call the shots. He didn't, didn't do that. He just followed wherever that old prophet went. Following always comes before leading because a person that's not willing to follow is not fit to lead. Our attitude toward authority is a reflection of our attitude toward God. That's in all areas of life and at all ages of life. Young people, when you rebel against mom and dad, you are rebelling against God. You might not like the decisions they make. You might not agree with the decisions they make. You might have, in some instances, a better idea than they do, but that doesn't make any difference. You're not in a position of authority, and they are. Over and over again, we're reminded of the importance of being submissive to the authority that God places over us. And the problem is, some folks are until things don't go their way. It happens in marriages. It happens all of the time in all areas of life. You know, they don't mind submitting to authority just as long as everything goes their way. Now, don't misunderstand. I don't think we ought to follow anybody to do anything that is unscriptural. I'll never forget several years ago. In fact, it was while I was the pastor at Northway and got in quite a debate with one of the members uh, was a member back then. I preached something uh, that morning in regards to the the wives being in submission to their husbands. And I mentioned the fact, as Peter said, it's better to obey God than it is to obey man. You ought not to obey your husband if it regards him at, you know, commanding you do something wrong because make no mistake about it, there are some men that have demanded that their wife go to the honky-tonks with them and have a drink with them and so on and so forth. So after the service, I'll never forget, this fellow approached me and said, you know, Brother Stone, I think you're wrong about that. I think the wife ought to be in submission to her husband regardless of what he says. And if he's wrong, then he has to answer to God for it. And I said, where do you, you know, where do you draw the line? What if he wants you to slit somebody's throat? I mean, you've got to draw the line somewhere. And you draw the line where God puts the line. That's where it is. I believe in pastoral authority, but I certainly don't think you ought to ever follow your pastor if your pastor is doing something that is totally and obviously unscriptural. Some people never learn to submit to authority. Most of them are in prison. The others need to be. And probably eventually will be. So whenever the Lord is preparing somebody to be the successor to that great prophet Elijah, He finds a fellow that is willing to work and a person that is willing to submit to authority And then look at verse 21, not only that, but having a servant's heart also indicates that there must be a willingness to serve in a supportive role. Then he arose and went after Elijah, now get this, and ministered unto him. You know, we talk about serving God. The question is, how do you serve God? Do you ever think about that? You know, if somebody asks you, do, do you serve the Lord? Oh, yeah, I serve the Lord, really. Oh, yeah, I attend church, I give my tithe, I, you know, I sing in the choir, I do this, I do that. But sometimes we never think about the fact that in serving God, it involves us m- meeting the needs of, of others, their spiritual needs most of all. And if you know if we're not look if we're not willing to serve others we're not ready to serve god Amen. and elijah was ready i mean he ran into the ministry and he became he became elijah's servant before he became his successor believe me i've known some young preachers in years past Back in Kentucky and Tennessee especially, and uh, Bev and Kathy, uh, they can testify to what I'm talking about being familiar with those churches. just about every every little Baptist church, and I use the word little in the numeric sense because they're not little in the sense of importance, but let's face it, they you know, might be only 70, 80 members or a hundred at the most, but there would be five or six young preachers and uh, it was that way in almost every church and most of the time they'd all be sitting up together on the front row there I remember one where they they all combed their hair just like the pastor did they all wore the same clothes the pastor did looked like little carbon copies of the pastor there they followed him everywhere he went and what have you and based on what I observed in their lives I think that Maybe some of them were just praying that the old man would hurry up and die so they could take his spot. And I've often wondered why in the world, I don't, didn't, I don't even wonder, I mean, I've preached it at church after church after church. You fellas sitting out there on the pew waiting for your pastor to die, you need to get out here and start a church somewhere. Not you. You stay here. (laughs) Boy, I put my foot in my mouth then, didn't I? Don't believe everything I say. (laughs) Wow. I am so glad that God has worked things out like he has. And I'm not going to elaborate on that. I've done it a few times already. More than I should have. But let me tell you, I am so thankful for for Br- Brother Kenneth and his work ethic and his attitude and everything else. I, uh, and, and his respect for authority and his willingness to to serve in whatever way. Thank God for that. Look, I know what it's like to have somebody as an assistant uh, He's our associate pastor now, but we had an assistant some years ago. Well, I'm going to just leave it at that. I was was in a good mood, and it's going to get me in a bad mood talking about that. Thank God it doesn't get me in a bad mood thinking about Brother Kenneth. And I'm not just saying that because he's here. Bev can tell you I say the same thing at home, and those of you that know me, Know how I feel about him. Verse number 20 now. I want you to look at something else about a servant's heart. That's the fact that he's willing to separate himself. Notice, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he's just trying to get him to acknowledge, The call didn't come from me. The call came from God through me. But the point is that Christian service always demands a separation from something. Sometimes even good things. Sometimes even people that you love dearly. And to do the will of God, you just have to give up those things. I, You know, I look back over the years and I, I don't regret anything I've ever done for the Lord. And I'm certain that, that I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And there's a lot of times I probably blame God for things that I did that, you know, that maybe, maybe I shouldn't have done. I'm talking about good things. But one one of the things that, as, whenever we look back and we think about our our children and the fact that because of God calling us to another state, our children were not able to be raised around their grandparents. I mean, whenever they occasionally got to see them, you know, it was maybe at Christmas time we'd go go back there, or maybe one time during the summer on vacation and. That was the limit. But, but look, that was the price that had to be paid in order to do what God had called us to do. And there's always a separation from something. Something that you have to give up. And let me tell you, if we're not willing to separate ourselves from the things of the world, even the good things of the world, we're not going to be of any use to God. We're talking about a man here who is leaving his father and his mother. Let me remind you, that is exactly what Jesus said a disciple must be willing to do. And he put it in the strongest possible terms whenever he said, unless a man hate his father and hate his mother. He's speaking in the relative sense. We know that he doesn't, you know, actually mean literally to hate them in the strictest sense of the word. He's drawing a, a contrast that, in comparison to our love for him, it would be like hatred toward them. The gap is so wide. It's not easy to, you know, leave mom and dad. You know, I, a lot of folks not willing to pay that kind of a price to do that. You say, "Well, preacher, well, that just seems like a steep price." Well, it is in one in one sense, but it's not nearly as steep as the price we pay if we don't do the will of God. Now, notice verse twenty-one. Again, we've already alluded to it some, and I want to read it again and make a, another point. And he returned back from him, and took a yoke of oxen. And slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat and then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. It tells me that having a servant's heart involves a willingness to sacrifice. Notice instead of complaining, he celebrated. Instead of, instead of fasting, he made a feast. I don't know what the monetary value of those you know, the two yoke of oxen, you know, might have been. I have no idea, but I bet it was substantial. You know, talk about having two John Deere tractors or whatever it was. I mean, it was a costly proposition. He said, Well, we're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate this. And we're not going to have hot dogs, we are going to have steak. So they killed the oxen and they had a Texas barbecue and celebrated. I'll never forget whenever I surrendered to preach, whenever I announced the fact that I would surrendered to preach. And we had several Bible college students in, the, in, in, in that church then. I don't know, probably at that time we might have had 15, I suppose, maybe more than that, men. And There was one old boy, great big guy. He's probably six five, and just I mean, look, had, had big old glasses, looked exactly like Clark Kent. And, and so the pastor had me to stand up front, and, and after the service was over, and I'd made that announcement that God's called me to preach, and uh, and everybody come by, you know, shook hands. Well, we, we, you know, we'll be praying for you, and so on and so forth, and we're so happy for you and what have you. But this guy got about halfway down there and he just kind of got in a trot and came down there and I mean gave me a bear hug and he was, he was slobbering and snotting all over me and crying like a baby. I thought, good night, how could anybody get so emotional over something like that? he was excited about the fact that God had called somebody to preach. That that excited him. That thrilled him. And I, I've never forgot that moment in my life that the fact that I have announced that I'm willing to do what God has called me to do and that is to preach His Word and somebody, is it was kind of like him saying, let's celebrate. That's what's going on here. There's a celebration. Now I think that's important because Far too many times, the demands of discipleship are spoken of in a, in a spirit of gloom instead of with gladness. You know, it's going to be a big change in my life. You know, yeah, God called me to preach the other night, and I'm going to have to resign my job and give up my retirement plan. And uh, wow. You see, we ought to be thinking about the privilege instead of the pain. Amen. We ought to be thinking about the, the privilege that we have to serve the Lord. Look, I've seen parents that complain because they had a son that surrendered to the ministry or a daughter that married a, a preacher, especially a missionary that was going to take them off somewhere. That ought to be a cause for celebration, Not complaining. One last thing. We notice here that the person with a servant's heart has to seize the opportunity. Verse number 20. He left. Notice, he left. And notice it says, and ran. He, ran. he wasn't moping around. You know, he didn't snap his fingers at Elijah and, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've, I've thought it over and uh, and give me a few minutes to think about it. I really believe with all my heart, oh, Elijah is just walking on. Son, if you're going to follow me, you better catch up. You go home tell mom and dad and have your celebration and what have you. And if you're going to follow me, you better get started. And Elisha couldn't wait to get started. That's the point. I don't know all of the little details, uh, the intricate things that went on between them at that time, but... But I know He was ready to go. And that ought to be our attitude. Instead of saying, well, I've got to do this. No, we ought to be saying, I get to do this. I get to do this. It's a privilege, you see. And you look through the Bible or you look through history and you see that successful servants always seized the opportunities that God gave them. Think of all of the different examples I think about David. Here's an opportunity. I mean, look, there was was no invitation extended to him. In fact, there were those his own family tried to discourage him, but God said, here's an opportunity. It's a giant, but it's an opportunity. It's like David said, that's okay. I'll take it. And David went out and he faced the giant i think about esther and the great opportunity that god gave her are you going to be teaching on that in your sunday school i think did we talk or you change your mind all right i might preach on it then okay we talked about it rick had been thinking about preaching about esther and boy you read that whole story and you wonder about how God could possibly be in the details. Here she is, she's really, you know, taken captive, but she wins a beauty contest and becomes the queen. And, and here she is in this, it seems like a great position, but it wasn't because all of a sudden there's a decree that goes out to kill all of the Jews. And so now she's in a quandary. What in the world? Because the Jews are her people. And, and she says, you, you know, that spoke about being born for such a time as this. There was an opportunity. There was a, there was a little window of opportunity open. And had she not walked through it, those Jews would have been slaughtered. I think about the apostle Paul and so many others that God has used so greatly. And God gave them an opportunity and they took advantage of it. Maybe my favorite is Isaiah. Remember the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6, you know, as He spoke about the needs of the nation and needing someone to go. And He said, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And Elisha said, Here am I, send me. He didn't do like some preachers I've known. Ask what the salary would be. Or ask about the retirement plan. Or ask if there's a car provided. And look, if, if it ever gets down to the point that lightning strikes me and Brother Kenneth both and we're dead and gone, you got to call a pastor And as the pulpit committee examines him, if he asks what the salary is, tell him it doesn't make any difference because you're no longer under consideration. That might sound hard-nosed, but let me tell you, that should never be a factor. Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. I'm ready to go that ought to be the attitude of each and every one of us. You know God doesn't use us all in the same way, but we all ought to have a servant's heart. And thank God for those those members of the church that have a servant's heart. And I well I could look out there and call so many names of people that that I'm so thankful for because whatever it is that God has called you to do, I mean, you do it well. You have a servant's heart. You know, we think about our ushers and sometimes just take them for granted and thank God for them being so faithful week after week after week after week. And Amen. we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about these other ministries because there's somebody that, you know, standing in the gap and making up the head. Somebody that's like Isaiah, you know, here am here, here, I, Lord, send me. I'll go. I'll serve. Take advantage of those opportunities. You say, yep. Yeah, but, you know, preacher, I, I, I did, I, I'm just afraid that I might fail. I'm afraid that I might not have the ability to see it through. Well, you're in good company. Moses felt the same way. God, you know, gave him an opportunity. said, look, I've got something for you to do. I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to deliver my people. And he said, oh, you know, it's, Lord, I'm slow of speech. You know, I'm not eloquent in speech and Slow on my tongue, I, 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 I'm not a good speaker. How am I supposed to do that? And then I have often said, he, really, what he was saying here, am I send send Aaron? You know, let Aaron go. He he's good at that stuff. Let him go. No, God said, I want you. I want you. God doesn't call you because you're fit. God fits you because you're called. Whatever it is that God wants you to do, God will enable you to do that thing but you have to have a servant's heart and take advantage of that opportunity. And when we talk about a servant's heart, that involves every area of our life, not just what we do when we walk in the doors of the church building. It's having a servant's heart toward people. Some of the greatest servants of the Lord are... Our women, they've never pastored a church. They've never done this and never done, done that. Maybe they don't even sing in the choir. They don't teach a Sunday school class, but they have a servant's heart. And well they see somebody in need and it's, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to take them something to eat and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Just reaching out, serving others. And if, if we'll all do that, there's just no limit to what God will do with us through us for us here in this place let let god use you Ask ask god to give you a servant's heart if 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 you know if that's not the case because that's exactly what he wants from each and every one of us let's bow together father how we thank you lord for those that um, have the heart of a servant those that not looking for a handout, not looking for an easy road, but those that are willing to do their very best in the place where they are needed the most. And we thank you for each and every one like that. And I pray tonight that you might just implant uh, implant this thought in the heart, especially of of our younger people here, that they'll... That they'll realize that they have only one life. And as Jim Elliott said, it'll soon be past and only what's done for Christ will last. God, help us to invest our time wisely and take advantage of the opportunities that we have. And help us until the day that we die to continue doing our best to seek your kingdom first. In Jesus' name, amen.